Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Stalking Time for the Moon Boys with me, Tim Hinks. Mm. And David Baddiel sitting next to me Hello. said this would be quite a big moment if I introduced it. Yeah, first. you have introduced feel big. one. Is it big? It feels really big. Yeah. It's a big moment. And also we have our special guest, Stephen Merchant, who's Hello with again. us from a week week ago. He's been, yeah. snoo- he's been asleep for a week. It's been a lovely place, though. I've had a wonderful time with you guys. Yeah, it's, it's been really lovely. I think we ran out. Here. I think by Wednesday we'd run out of things to do. But, I know, um, but you know, we just sat here. Well, we, we also had to sit in silence so as not to uh, preempt this podcast. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I found that a bit awkward. Yeah, it was um, a bit. But, you know, we're through that now. We're finally here. We're finally here. So a week ago, we were talking about lots of things. Bruce Springsteen. Mm. Uh, Stephen's a huge fan of, of Bruce. And I was thinking, if you want to sum up, and he's an amazing artist, if you want to sum up the difference between David Bowie and Bruce Springsteen, I think this thing here that I'm about to play okay. is something Bruce would, I don't know, I think he would never do this. And this is partly what's so amazing about David. Okay. Um, I don't think Bruce would do this. On a branch of a big tree sat a little bird, Peter's friend. All is quiet, all is quiet. Chirped the bird gaily. <laughs> no, you're right. No. Would he? I don't I mean, think he would. I don't think, I, he don't, would. No. I don't think he would have done that. And if he had done, it would have sounded quite different, I think. What's interesting is is that is, of course, David Bowie narrating Peter and the Wolf. Mm. But there's a really interesting bit. So, um, you'll know the story well of Peter and the Wolf, of Stephen, so I'll save you from saying it. But you'll remember... But all the animals have an instrument. Is that right? The, yeah, they, they, well, it's the other way around. Oh, is it right? The instruments have an animal, if you like. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah it's not a sort of weird freak show. They, they, <laughs> the animal represents a uh, uh, the instrument represents an animal. There's a bit where the duck gets caught. I'm not going to say that how that ends. I think what's interesting is that one of the things we love about Dave is the way he talks, mm. the way his voice, you know, he's, we talked about him on Extra as being um, an actor to, to some degree, but he's always seems quite uncomfortable with his voice and there's so many different iterations of it. He goes quite cockney, he goes quite posh and that's kind of one of the things he's never quite comfortable in his own skin. This is a particular iteration of his voice, which mm. I can't put my finger on, but he says, the way he says swallows when he talks about the duck being swallows, just really only Bowie can do it. So have okay. a look, I think this is the right bit. The duck is about to get caught. And then he got her, and with one gulp, swallowed. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's... I mean, to be both... fair to David, and I've done this, I write children's books, right. he, he, he is doing an audio children's, reading to children's voice there, isn't he? I guess. That's what that, I yeah. think that is meant to be. It's but... You're right. It sounds like a man who's really thinking slightly too hard about how should I say the word swallows here. Because his voice on extras, when he, when you know, obviously he's got his singing voice, but he's acting as well. He's got that. He never feels that comfortable 
with the voice. It feels Well, you're raising forced. an issue here, which is, was David Bowie a good actor? Right. And I'm never too sure whether he was or not, considering he did a lot of acting, and he's in, you know, I never saw The Elephant Man in Broad Broadway. Right. right. Uh, but apparently that was amazing, and he's in Good Morning. Is it Good Morning? No, Merry Christmas. Not good, morning. good Morning Britain. Good yeah. Morning Britain. <laughs> good Morning, Mr. Lawrence, is a whole different film. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Every day, someone said something I thought, to well, Mr. I Lawrence. Good Morning, Mr. Lawrence, is a more banal film, yeah. I thought. I think it's... I, I think people generally agree that the man who fell to earth yes. is is his best performance or yeah. certainly is one of his best films and i think i'm sure there's no coincidence that he's playing that mm-hmm. slightly awkward creature that is learning to walk and speak and yes. you know and when he's Nicholas not rogue who made that film and yeah. who i really love Nicholas rogue yeah. um he i think cuz he worked with pop stars a lot rock stars a lot he worked with Mick Jagger in performance as well yeah. and slightly more incongruously Art Garfunkel in Bad Timing although that is an amazing and brilliant film in which Art Garfunkel is very good but all of them are cast I think because they have a slight otherworldly quality right. actually at that time yes you know he, he gets all those people at a time when they but are I'm, I suppose my point being that I wonder if the reason both Jagger and Bowie work mm. in those two films performance and not mentioning yes. Garfunkel well, we'll come back to Garfunkel, <laughs> but uh, it's because they are, you know, I mean, Jagger, type. yes, they're playing type, but also that, Bo, you know, his if his if his performance is a little off, yeah, mm. it somehow works because the characters. No, off of course, a, I agree. A, yeah, a, yeah, no, I agree. Yes. And he's he's playing an alien, and he's playing a version of the Bowie persona of the time in a way that perhaps in Merry Christmas to Lawrence or some of the other things I've right. seen him in. It's he's like, supposed to be a real person. A real in a person. Way perhaps it's slightly yeah. harder to accept Yeah, and, him and perhaps that's something we, we've always felt about Bowie, is, right. is that one of the things that's vulnerable about him and possibly appealing at some level is that he didn't quite know how to be a real person. Right. That's why he's constantly, you know, trying on voices or whatever. Could but, we come back to Garfunkel for one second? Yes, please. Uh, we don't need to play it necessarily, but have you... Are you have Let's you, play it. Are you familiar with the uh, Garfunkel... Re- recorded in the recording studio talking to his engineer. Oh, no. no. It's it's really, amazing. it's it's quite a delight. And you only okay. need to hear about 15 seconds okay. to get okay. the what, sense What should of, we Google? I think but... if you Google Garfunkel, you know, recording session or in-studio yes. yeah. conversation or something. Okay. I'm actually quite a big Simon and Garfunkel fan. Oh, yeah, I know. yeah, but I, um, I always find them incredibly comic as well. Right. There's something about them that I think is incredibly comic. I, uh, partly met. what they look like. This, I, just, I feel listening to this, you might understand why Paul Simon felt he couldn't work with him again <laughs> right. for a period of time, yeah. if this was what he was dealing with. Okay, all right, let's hear, let's hear that. Start, I think I'm starting to hate it, except I know I love it. It's been chased away somehow. Somehow something wonderful was lurking behind all of the pausing and the techno realities of our job that here's a classic case of whatever was fertile about the song which i was connected with about an hour and a half ago has ground down i can't find well you want to put down one take like that we'll take out all these extra drum things we've added Something like starting from the beginning feels like the right thing to do. I mean, there's plenty more of it, and it is sort That's of... That's incredible. I mean, because he's so eloquent in his pretension. It is gibberishness. Yes. Yeah. I mean, none of it actually makes any sense. <laughs> and the way he says fertile, I've never heard that before. <laughs> fertile. 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 <laughs> that is astonishing. And as you say, the engineer is basically saying, should we just do a retake? Just do oh, another hang one. Hang on. Hang on a sec. Can we just look at that? It is Web Extra. Singer Art Garfunkel reads a passage from his new memoir, which is called... What is all but luminous? So I think we just might just have to hear a bit of that based on what we've just heard. Before there was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, there was Simon and Garfunkel. An extraordinary, a singular love affair. 
There is no gay component in the two of us that I am aware of. <laughs> no need no, to mention that. No one suggested that. that. No, no, no. ...around each other is poetically stunning. From age 11 to today, a span of 64 years, Art and Paul have been at work to entertain, win the respect of, and dazzle one another. It worked so well that the whole world pulled up chairs to watch and listen. Okay, there's something that you need to know. You can't see it in this that I think is really key, which is that you never see her, but there's a woman interviewing Art Garfunkel when he's doing this, and he's saying these things about how brilliant Art mm. Garfunkel were and how the whole world pulled up chairs to listen, and then he's staring very closely at the woman, and I really want to see her face. You never yes. get to see it, <laughs> never see. but what face can you make when a hot girlfriend yeah. is saying that to you very close? It must be quite difficult. It's but tricky, isn't it? Because he's not wrong in no, the sense we did pull up chairs to listen. It's yeah, just, it's... he's again, he's not allowed to say it in the same no. way that the boss couldn't nickname himself no. the boss. Yes. No. And it it just, reminds it's... me of something else as well, which is that often people who you really like, you don't want them too close doing what they do. And right. this uh, happened to Frank Skinner, once uh, he's a massive Elvis Costello fan and Elvis Costello came on fantasy football and Frank had just seen him somewhere and said afterwards oh it was brilliant that song you did particularly that song you did I don't know which song it was uh, but let's say it was Alison or whatever and he says oh what well, you mean this one and then starts singing Alison or whatever right, it might right, be right. but Frank is in a dressing room Elvis Costello is very close to him wow. and Elvis Costello doesn't do a line he does the whole song. Oh, and again, I'm thinking, yeah. how many times can Frank do a smile, yes, yes, a, a, a nod, a nod, yeah. yeah, before his whole face starts to freeze? Yes. With, this is a cappella or with a yeah, guitar? Yeah, a cappella. No, oh, not with a guitar. Boy, no, I mean, it, in retrospect, he probably thinks that's one of the best things that's ever happened. Okay, to I'm at sure the time, it was great. Nightmare. The, yeah, nightmare. Awful, but I yeah. think that hearing that clip of him... Uh, of Art Garfunkel, you know the other thing is the the big egos of these guys, right? Yeah. And you know, you, you both of you have, have a very small contained ego. So mm. you're very easy. You've both been very successful. You do, um, and you behave very functionally. But mm. at a certain point, well, at a certain point, those guys lose <laughs> touch, right? And right. do get away with instead of saying, "Should we do it again?" The engineer is not going to say anything because it's Art Garfunkel. Mm. There's there's an amazing... I don't know if you've heard... There's the Abbey Road audio clips. Have you ever heard those? They're all no. over YouTube. And basically it's just... Is it Michael Lindsay Hogg, who's the director of, of, of um, some of the Beatles' films? He's doing Let It Be. And they've just left the tape running. So there's hours and hours of really interesting... I mean, some terrible stuff, but interesting stuff about Yoko. I mean, it's all in there. And like racism so, as well. There's a bit of casual racism. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit when of When they do get racism. back. There's yeah. a, and then there's this moment, but through it, is that they're trying to get the Beatles, or he's trying to get the Beatles to agree on whether they do a big live performance. It ends up as, on famously on the rooftop of yes. Abbey Road, uh, of um, the Apple Building. But at a certain point, they're all saying they're going to go to Egypt to play the pyramids. Really? But, yeah, and they're going to go on a boat. And you hear all this. It, it lasts about three hours. And they go on, and occasionally George says, well, I'll only do it if we have a big boat. And then Paul says, who's always much more upbeat, yeah, we can play the pyramids. And John says, yeah, we could. And it goes on and on. And you can hear this director, who knows them really well, really just trying to get a bit like that engineer, to get to the point of, do you want to do this yeah. or don't you? Yeah. But they're the Beatles. They mm. go... And you eventually get to the point where, and you can hear it happening, they all seem to agree they're going to go to the pyramids. And he says, and you, he's got his moment, and he sort of says, right, George, are you in? Paul, we're in, we're going to the pyramids. Ringo, we're in. John, we're in. And John goes, yes. And there's a pause, and he goes, 
we can always change our minds tomorrow. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. that's the problem, right? right when you right, get to right. a certain yeah. level, of course they can. I wish They're the they had, though. I mean, I wish they had played the pyramids. I think uh, particularly it might have been at the, terrible. At the time, I have an image of them on... Like, I don't know how many pyramids there are at the pyramids. I've never been. But maybe if there are four... It always looks like three. I uh, see. Yeah, if, I, I was going to say, are there four? Right, because then you could have each one on each pyramid. <laughs> yes. Wow. And it would look amazing. Ringo would have a problem, I think, getting the whole drum kit. Although it's always a smaller drum kit, it's a tiny drum kit. Yeah, but that's one of the things about Ringo. Bass drum, snare, cymbal. That's kind of it, like yeah. a child's drum kit <laughs> yeah, yeah, at yeah, some no, level. Was, but right. I think that that... The, the, we're just talking about both, you know, I mean, the Garfunkel thing. Those ta- mm-hmm. Whenever they release those mm-hmm. tapes of the, of the creative process, um, and I always find this quite heartening, is it's, you realise it's a very slow, yes. pedestrian process. And that this idea... I think we have this, or certainly when you're young and you're a fan of these people, particularly musicians, you imagine everything just sort of mm. comes out, and that mm. and that there's they're they're working in another atmosphere, you know, mm. and they're made mm. of stardust, mm. and that somehow they can magically do these things. And actually, I'm sure we've experienced this ourselves. Yeah. You know, however close you are to people of that much talent, there's still a lot of just yes. grinding it out well, and, and also, lots yeah. of non-inspiration. And also, all of these people. You know, they are ordinary people with a talent. That's it. That's the thing, and I think that, that we imbue them yes. with some kind of godlike status that their whole being will be sort right. of like have an aura, or uh, that they're consistent in their in their outlook yeah. or on their or you know what I mean. That, that's, um, and that they're supposed to sort of be they're supposed to be operating at another level, mm. and that we get annoyed and upset. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was a kid reading the the Rolling Stones. Uh, into the Rolling Stone interview with John Lennon, which yes, he did through yeah, in the yeah. early seventies after That's the breakup right. of the band, so where he's sort of he's mean and nasty Amazing. about Paul and the rest of the yeah. band, and he dismisses it all out of yes. hand. And mm. just as a fan who had just sort of discovered them, yes. you know, belatedly, I just was it was just no. I was gutted that mm. you know because you want them to sort of live in in you don't want to be like that they're the monkeys and they live in a house yeah. together mm. like in the Help film and they mm. just all got on and yeah. everything was grosy. Mm. No, yeah. there's a, there's in that I think it's in that interview or it might be the one um, the Playboy one. Um, later on anyway uh, John Lennon he talks about all the songs and he talks about Glass Onion which you know is yeah. this amazing song on the White Album and he says it's just throw away piece of garbage right. and, like, right. and you could tell he believes that right. at that moment in time yeah. and that as you say cuts you to the Paul, part, but because Glass Onion is nice about Paul isn't it I don't think that's Glass Onion I mean okay. Glass Onion is, is a bit more gobbledygook um, okay. Glass Onion was the one where he's trying to what he's actually trying to do is say we've got all these mad fans conspiracy theories right. what their lyrics mean and he says oh, yes, I'll give yes. you some lyrics yes. and says you know oh, here's a clue for was you was there a point or, in which you believed any of those conspiracy theories because you are the Beatles fan of the two of us did you ever believe that Paul McCartney not wearing shoes on Abbey Road meant he was dead. At no point did I think for one second that. I mean, I don't know what it'd be like if I was, you know, I was one when that album came out. Mm. So, um, so I was open to lots of things at that yeah. age. Um, <laughs> but I think in retrospect, no, I was pretty sure. Talking Paul about McCartney conspiracy was theories, and I was involved in conspiracy theory rather brilliantly. I mean, I've been involved in many, but uh, because if you're Jewish, that just happens. But this was a good one, which was um, some of you may have seen. Uh, Tracy Ullman did a oh, sketch yeah. show, uh, and one particular. Corbyn fan on uh, Twitter has said, I see at Badil has written Tracy Ullman's Corbyn sketch and then he slags off the sketch. And I think now that that was, he was trying to be funny. He was trying to say, well, we all hate David Badil. Right. He's the main enemy to Jeremy Corbyn at the moment. He's the one going on about anti-Semitism. So he may as well 
have written this sketch. But he didn't write it like that. He wrote, I see Abadil has written court. And then next thing I know, George fucking Galloway has retweeted that and then tweeted something else about how I'm sort of the BBC's attack dog. Next, he's got like 300,000 followers. So that's then become a thing that I wrote this sketch and that I am, you know, therefore to be hated for it, whatever. So it's a weird conspiracy theory that all Jews yeah. are sort of are trying to do this thing to destabilise Jerry Corbyn. Anyway... So I'm backstage, if I could mention this, at the RSC yesterday. Lovely. Um, uh, it would be now a week ago, because I was about to do my show there. and To play Shylock. To play Shylock, <laughs> which is obviously part of it, because actually I also wrote The Merchant of Venice. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> so actually, to be fair, that was Danny Baker's joke. There, there, there was a thing that happened online when it became clear that all these people were saying, I wrote Tracy Ullman's material, lots of comedians. So I say, well, of course you also wrote my material, right, didn't you, right, David? Right. And, Danny, and then when I, when I tweeted that I was at the RSC, Danny Baker said, didn't you write The Merchant of Venice? And I said, yes, I deliberately exactly exaggerated the anti-Semitism. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm backstage watching all this going on and suddenly Stephen Page, who is used to be the lead singer in the Bare Naked Ladies. Now, oh. I don't know if you're a Bare Naked Ladies no, I fan. Know I don't mean a fan of Bare Naked no. Ladies. Obviously, we're all fans of I'm a of fan that. of neither. No, but no, I do, I do really like the Bare Naked Ladies. They have a song called Brian Wilson, which is about Brian okay. Wilson, which is an utterly beautiful song. And uh, I nearly put it in my desert island disc, and he has since left the Bare Naked Ladies to go and uh, do solo work, and he, I really like his solo work as well, is writing to me, commiserating about how I'm under attack from all these Corbynites, because it turns out he's Jewish, which I didn't know, and he's listened to my desert island discs, and he's been following wow. the whole story. You know, And this, this occasionally happens, because a tweet like Will Arnett wrote to me once. Yeah. Will Arnett, who I, you probably know, but I don't know him, and he wrote to me saying, oh, you deal with these trolls on right. Twitter really well. It's a really upside to being someone who does deal, come sort to of audience. like gets picked on on Twitter yeah. and basically likes to sort of slightly uh, make that public. Um, and I thought immediately, you know, there's all these people sort of, apart from the people who were joking about it, a lot of people were getting very upset about it. And I wasn't really upset about it. And for me, it was just such a big upside that a pop star that yeah. I like mm. has like got in touch with me about it. I thought, well, let them, I hope they you know, have got me more. It's worth it. Because yeah. then if this, if this is the result of it, mm. it's brilliant. It's Plus, brilliant... I am secretly a Zionist, so yeah. win-win. Well, you are. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I thought. <laughs> yeah. 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 Up until that moment, secretly I was. Yeah. Now it's out. Yeah. I would hate to bring us back to music for a second. No, please, just, please, as please. you were saying, uh, you mentioned Brian Wilson. Mm. I wondered if you had seen that recent Brian Wilson biopic, uh, Love and Mercy. Yes, yeah. With uh, Paul Dano as the young Wilson and John Cusack. Well, it, it is, and, and I'll tell you what's interesting is I was. Mm. It, it was I mean, I'm perhaps, not big on films, but I enjoyed uh, it. Indeed, but I wondered, you know, if there were particular, uh, you know, movies that you think represent well mm. the uh, the sort of rock star. Well, before, because what's interesting about that is it does a really good job, I think, of recreating the process of Brian Wilson recording in a yes. studio. And it has excellent sound design. And it really gives you a sense of his sort of maverick mm. genius mm. at work. Can I tell and you I something about musicians and they say... They, they can I tell you something about Brian Wilson before we answer that question? Yeah. Uh, which is I've met Brian Wilson. And I'm a big fan of the Beach Boys. But I met him it was about seven years ago. So he's already... You know the thing that the person mm. he is now, which is to some extent, you know, you can clear that it's clear that although he's doing okay, that he's not quite all there. I think that's all right to say, isn't it? Um, either yeah. way, there's something about him as well that is slightly removed from reality when you see him, and that therefore, as well as being removed from reality, might give you a sense that he's got some sort of access to sort of yes. higher understanding, and maybe we buy that into that or project that into him. Yes. But anyway, it was bad for me that that sense because I was brought backstage to meet him at the Royal Festival Hall. And literally, he's brought in, and someone, I think it was Jonathan Ross again, says, 
Brian, this is David. And he backed away from me like I was the wow. devil fucking incarnate. Wow. It was like someone had seen, I have seen a man with the blackest heart. <laughs> he would look terrified wow. of me and wouldn't come near me. A bit like when an animal... Well, he'd a... been reading all those tweets. Well, that may be it. Had. Yes, I mean, he knew and all about like the whole Tracy plot that I'd been creating around the Beach Boys. So. <laughs> well, can I, can I use that as a way, um, Steve, because on this podcast... We love, love Bowie, and, and, but we're not afraid to sort of embrace all angles of him, you know, and good and the bad. And genuinely, I think one of the worst tracks he ever did is, is you know what I'm going to say. God only knows, did he do? It's, 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 I think it's really bad, is but it, I'm interested in what you it think. On? It's on um, uh, tonight, I think. Well, let's have oh, a look. Uh, I think it's on I tonight. I have never heard his version of okay, God Only Knows. Well, it's interesting because it, it, ultimately it's a beautiful, beautiful song, isn't it? So, so it's hard not to sort of love it. Right. So I'm a bit conflicted over it. But it seems very lazy to me. And his mm. voice is, I mean, there's a lot of beauty in here, but it's also a thuddingly bad <laughs> version, I think. Yeah, um, so see what you think. It's 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 inessential, isn't it? As either yes. a Bowie song or I think that's a right. Beach Boys song. It's very 80s mm. production, but there's an interesting mm. thing about it, which is my daughter, who I've mentioned on this occasion, is a massive Bowie fan. Uh, and she once said to me, uh, which might be a thing, she said it as if you obviously mm. know this, but mm. I'd never heard it expressed this way before, mm. that Bowie, towards the end of the 70s, perhaps in the early 80s, changed his vocal style to crooning. That's the word she used. Okay. Yeah. She said that he suddenly decided, like maybe because of a shift in tone in his voice, to start crooning rather than just, yes. as it were, singing. And that seemed to be the most... I've never heard it before. Well, that sounds like someone doing an impersonation of him, Virtually of him. Bing Crosby-level yes. crooning of God. I think Stephen's right. I think that's the funny thing. That's what actually you put your finger on. It's like an impression of him. Yeah. And I suppose a bit of it, for me, it feels a bit like he's phoning it in. Well, I think it's, it's also because it you, somehow it doesn't seem sincere hmm. because his voice sounds so... Sort of bassy and mm. and you know and someone doing a Bowie impression from sort of the Kenny Everett show or something. I don't yeah. know you know and it's interesting how artists mutate in that way because I don't know if you've seen Bob Dylan live in recent years not or really, ever. Well, I've seen many right. videos, of right? It. I've, but, I've deliberately not gone to see it because I just think, oh, for fuck's sake, Bob. Well, that's the weird thing because if you listen to recent Bob Dylan albums, yes, he sounds a bit like a, a Dylan impersonator, but he sounds. In, you know, you can yes. hear the words and you sort yes. of understand what's going on. And if you see him live, yes. it's like a strange sort of Esperanto version yes. of the songs of right. and performed by a man. Yeah. It's it's complete, and I don't understand why, in theory, well, well, you can do it in the recording studio. Why is his yeah. voice so what, what, what weird? Is, I mean, here's a question, which I think you're asking anyway, but I, what is Bob Dylan doing? I mean, that is a yes. good question. Like, when I watch Bob Dylan sing whatever it might be, like a Rolling Stone or Mr. Tambourine Man live now. And he just does that thing of saying, hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, and he sounds like a buzzing fly. That is eerie, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, I know it's that good. Uh, 
What's he doing that for? No idea. I mean, is it... Because at some level, some people say, I've read people say, oh, this is a sort of like, you know, fabulous satire of the fact that he's expected to do all the hits, so he deliberately trashes them, and that's well, the brilliant. other thing I've heard but is, I is, thought, is that, that it? The other thing I've heard is that in his mind, every song is still a work in progress. So yeah. he's always sort of rediscovering or reinventing it. But the problem yeah, but is... not reinventing But they're not. It. They're yeah. just approximations of the yes. version you remember. And, you, and if you hear him in his golden live yes. period, which yeah. I think is probably the mid-'70s, there's that whole bootleg series. He's, yeah. he's fantastic. And that Rolling Thunder review live show, yes. he's great. He's personable. His, his just, it's a great show, and it has all the rough edges you'd want, but it has a performance. So how he's arrived at this... Interestingly, that... I'm not a big uh, Dylan fan, but that Rolling Thunder tour uh, had Mick Ronson for a certain period, right, oh, on, 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 on guitar. And if you ever look at some of that... Um, it is Ronson still playing that sort of Bowie guitar in the middle of it, and it doesn't quite. And he had a pretty unhappy time, and he talk, talks about it. Mm. But just on the Bowie voice thing, because I think still in the eighties, because since doing this podcast in a way, I've been trying to sort of fall, see if I can fall in love with the eighties. Because even as you said last week, Stephen Bowie w- was open about he felt he was sort of re- recycling his songs and had lost his mojo or whatever in the eighties. But I was trying to think about how it, it, there must be some gems there, and of course we know we've talked about Absolute Beginners, which mm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, a beautiful real, song yeah. what I did find and I know there's loads of these on YouTube where they just isolate the vocals and everything so, so, so it's kind of always quite interesting but Blue Jean if you remember so I was at school when Blue Jean that was a sort of felt like Bowie you know, sort of slightly throwaway song although it was a big hit for him there's a bit on YouTube which I think will be, is good for your soul because you just hear his vocal track and you want to just hear it because mm. it just in a way it's that crooning point it's like his voice is extraordinary and it's a really beautiful thing to hear Blue Jean, I just met a girl named Blue Jean. Blue Jean, she got a camouflage face of no money. Remember, they always let you down when you need them. Oh, Blue Jean, is heaven any sweeter than Blue Jean? She got a police bike. She got turned up nose. Sometimes I feel like, oh, the whole human race. Doesn't for blue or jean. Oh, and when my blue jeans blue. I think that's amazing. I mean, that is really brilliant. It's, it's wonderful. A, it's beautiful, but isn't it? In contrast to the crooning version of yes. the Beach Boys, is that it's, it feels. You feel him engaging with you, connecting yes. with you. You feel it has rough edges to it in an interesting yeah. way. You know, it, yeah, so but, the commitment, yeah. but also right. the, commitment, the commitment. Everything about it feels like a legit. But also, I've never noticed that when listening to the no. song. and I think that was the point because the production gets in the way. That's the point, isn't it? In that eighties period, he's not by no means alone. So many that the product. So when you hear that, you think that could fit on any seventies. At the way his range, yeah, yeah. the sort of madness of the song. He's going yeah. up here. He's down. He does yeah. a speaking bit. All that gets thrown away, doesn't it? When you hear blues, you don't think about that at all. It's a, it's a good enough melody, so you get through it. Yeah. But it doesn't have that. Kind but that's of... again, we, you know, we were, I was talking last week about my love of Bruce, and Bruce I dismissed in the eighties. The, the Born in the USA album, which is the one obviously that took him to the stratosphere, has that eighties production. And even now, it's it, it's the thing that I have to struggle to get right. through. Which yes. and there's lots of great songs on that album. But it, and prior to that, everything still felt a bit more organic, and yes. you could feel the band. And it's the same with when I, the reason that Bowie for me was I, I had to get into him belatedly as well was because when I was when I was sort of becoming aware of music it was the kind of let's dance period and there's some fine tunes there but it that eighties production sound yes. I just didn't I didn't 
there was no sense of him mm. as being this revolutionary artist when mm. I first became aware of him. And my mum's friends would go and see him, you know, on the Let's mm. Dance tour. Right. So it just seemed like yes. parents' music. You know, yes. I couldn't, I didn't even yeah, realise yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a... Yeah. Let me just go back to something, because again, I, you're completely right. It's annoying on podcasts if someone uh, raises something and then it's not answered. So you asked a question about, about sort of rock stars portrayed on film. Uh, and it, it struck me a number of things struck me about it. One is that Sky Arts are doing this urban myths thing. Have you seen that? No. Yeah, it's a thing whereby it's not always at all pop stars, although quite a few pop stars they did. David Bowie has turned up twice, actually, on it. It's a thing where, I mean, it's called urban myths, so it's meant to be urban myths, but actually it's often just real things that they're recreating. So they recreate backstage at Live Aid, um, and David Bowie is very briefly in that. Right. And then they recreate, and I haven't seen it yet, uh, but the first meeting of Mark Bolan and right. David Bowie. And I can't remember who it was. Do you know who's playing David Bowie in that? But what worried me, and I'm a friend of this person and I like him, is that Jack Whitehall was playing Mark Bolan. Mm. Now, my issue with that comes back to something that you raised, which is height. Yes, which is right. that Mark Bolan was a very sort of like fake, small, diminutive, and that was part of his appeal. Right. Is that there was some, but Jack Whitehall, I mean, he's not as tall as you, but he's a tall yeah. bloke. I mean, he's thin, but he's like, you know, six foot two yeah, or something. Yes. And so just, and whoever was playing Bowie was smaller than him yeah, in, yeah, in this yeah. uh, Sky Arts thing. So that's not right. That bothers, you. Yeah. That bothers me. And it, there's an interesting thing with the playing of rock stars on film. It's the same with football to some extent, is that, you know, American sports have managed quite well to do films about American sports. Yes. Uh, there's a few of them, especially baseball, like quite successful, Field of Dreams or whatever. But there's never been a good film about football. And it's quite difficult to recreate technically. But soccer, I always, you mean? Soccer, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, for our American <laughs> listeners. Yes. Yes. We've got a lot of American <laughs> listeners. Uh, and so and I, I think that's partly because, for me at least, as a football fan, the, the genuine spontaneous theatre of football is mm. sort of impossible to sort of recreate. Yeah. And I wonder if there's some truth about that with music. Uh, and, part, you know, and also... For example, there's a Hendrix film. Well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna bring that up because, of course, one of the other complications yeah. is not being able to get access to the music yeah, of I, the artists. Right, yeah. And uh, I was actually bizarrely talking about that last night because I was talking to someone who actually, funnily enough, Graham Coxon of the band Blur, yeah. who oh, was yeah. saying he actually enjoyed the Hendrix film Did he? and hadn't even noticed there was no Hendrix. He didn't music. notice. But apparently, I think, or maybe if he had, he said that someone, I guess there was a guitarist in it who yep. was doing the score that did a pretty good, you know, approximation. Have you seen right, it? Right. I haven't seen it. Okay, it's got a weird title. I've not seen it. I've in my mind, it. it's called something like Any Way You Do, but it's certainly not called that. It's got Imogen well, Poots in it. Yes. Um, Playing Jimi Hendrix. Yes, that she's great. Amazing. She's amazing. That is awesome. um, no, it, it's clearly they did not get the rights to Jimi Hendrix music. And this happens quite a lot now. It's a very interesting cultural phenomenon. Similarly, like, uh, yes, it's All Is By My Side, it's called. Uh, I mean, this is a, quite a left-field thing, but I went and saw Sylvia, which is the film about Sylvia Plath. Mm. They did not get the rights to use Sylvia Plath's poetry really? in that film. And then afterwards, right. you think, like, what are we mm. watching mm. here? Well, because, you know, these people are only a thing because she was a poet, but we can't hear the poetry. Can I bring this full circle back to mm. David Bowie, mm. which is, of course, Ricky and I doing a project about David Bowie long before Extras, Were you? which was a one-off that we did uh, for Channel 4 called Golden Years, All right. okay. in which... Ricky plays a man who yes, uh, has made money in a sort of... Uh, I forget exactly what he's made mm, money in, mm. but he sells it, or he gives it all up in order to become a David Bowie impersonator. Oh, I didn't know. I've never heard of that. And so we filmed this one-off thing, and um, yeah. and Ricky sort of, you know, is dressed as Bowie and the whole thing. And, um, but in, we, and we'd written lots of jokes and material about Bowie's songs, and then 
found out long before we'd done The Office and so therefore had no credibility or status, we couldn't get Bowie songs. So yes. the only ones we were able to feature in the show, I think, are the ones that he did as covers. So right. Wild is the Wind and Sorrow, maybe. God only knows. God only knows. And I think, only. bizarrely, Space Oddity. Maybe. Oh, really? Were there different Slipped reasons? Through. Is that owned by someone else, maybe? It or? probably is, but, but yeah. So anyway, oh, just so an you, odd. This exists. Yeah, I've, I've seen yeah. it. No, I've I never it. seen it. Oh, it was called Golden Years, and obviously that yeah. was going to be the theme tune, but we couldn't yeah. use Golden Years. <laughs> no, so. obviously not. So what happens in it? I mean, Dave, Ricky plays a guy, he's a business guy, he's not unlike David Brent, who gives up um, his job to become a David Bowie impersonator. Because one of the things... And it was lots of think, jokes about kind of impersonators. But Ricky and, is, I, I would say, it's the best impression of David Bowie I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and he does I mean, a great job in it, and yeah. the, the guy is doing a good impression of Bowie. It's just, right. it's not, it's no way to make a livelihood, I guess. Wow. I, suppose, I guess his body, I forget exactly what. No, I absolutely remember that. And I suppose one of the things about the film um, versions of, is that ultimately what's the most interesting thing about these people? It's about the music and right. how we interact with it, right? Just as watching... But it says something about our, what we've been talking about a bit in, on these two podcasts, which is how we imbue these people with something else. Yes. Yeah. Because why are we watching a Jimi Hendrix film yeah. if Jimi Hendrix is not playing Jimi Hendrix songs? Right, right. It's because we assume that there must be something else yes. about him that is still worth right. you know mythologizing but actually I watched about a third of that film and I just thought it, I didn't realize when I started watching it I thought well any minute now he's gonna be doing hey Joe yes yes and then I've got about a third of the way I think they didn't get the rights did they right so I, I sort of like I sort of felt like this should have happened during the filming is what happened yes. to me in my living room which is someone saying fuck this what right. is the point and I turned it off and I think they should have I mean it, it may be unfair to the film but I just felt but I think it's also that I think what happens as well is that you end up, even if you've got the rights of the songs, there's a danger that it becomes reductive. And so it, what it becomes yeah. is a sort of a sort of um, soap opera of the kind of, normally, the tragedies of their life, right? Yeah, and but so, that's the problem without the stuff. That was right. exactly what I felt about Sylvia. Is that, uh, Sylvia's about her and Ted Hughes and blah, blah, blah. I think Dylan Thomas is in it. I, I can't remember exactly. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And I just thought, okay, without the poetry, this is the story about four fucked up individuals who had relationships and did each other over emotionally. I could watch that on EastEnders. Yes, What yes, makes this yes. not EastEnders? The only thing that makes it not EastEnders is if you could hear Ariel. 
right, by Sylvia right, Plath. Right, right, right. You can't hear it, and so therefore, what's the point? Yeah. But I think it's um, fun enough. I've been watching the Beatles with my nine-year-old. He's suddenly got into the Beatles in that way that it's just brilliant to watch because he's a he's really really getting into them, and also you're thinking, God, I mean, there's so much you you know, there's so many songs, and so he's he's going on that journey. And uh, we've been watching the Beatles films, so a slightly different thing because they they're actually in it. Yes. So that's it. But this even watching those, you think, wow. I mean, they date, of course they date. But what absolutely keeps you going is it's the Beatles yes. and they are not just singing their songs so you want to watch that but you're just watching them be the rock stars yeah. as soon as someone plays them it's yeah. sort of something goes and and they only accept Backbeat Do you remember that film Backbeat yeah, yeah. see I seem to remember quite enjoying that Been a long Backbeat's alright but again it's interesting isn't it because it's, it's, it's about a, a member of the Beatles that we don't really know well, about. Well, I think that's it's and t- it and it doesn't. It's before yes. they have all the hits. So exactly. weirdly, yes. it's almost like a it's, it's a separate Dave. story. And it's telling almost. you a story you don't know so well, right? Yeah. And I remember the yeah. guy who plays Paul McCartney in that, who doesn't feature hugely, but he looks just like a young McCartney, and that's right. always charming. That's, yeah, but that's, that's good. an issue yes, that I was right. going to bring up, which is that I was some rabbit hole on YouTube the other day and and came to a thing that said Paul McCartney and John Lennon meet for the first time, and the still well the still they had. I thought it seemed to be a still of the Quarrymen because I wasn't looking at it very well. Yeah. And so I clicked, I thought, blimey, I've never seen this. The actual Quarrymen playing in 1957, meeting for the first time. And then, of course, it's from Nowhere Boy. Is it Nowhere Boy? Ah, right. Uh, from Aaron, Aaron Lennon's movie yeah. that he's in, and which is a perfectly good film, but then it's not very exciting. And then the first thing it, you see is he's doing his skiffle ban. Yeah. It cuts to the bloke who's John, who's Paul McCartney in that. And I thought, you look nothing right. like Paul McCartney. I mean, that's... Complete... There, is, there is an actual photo of the Walton's College yes, fate, which there is, but I know. McCartney's not in it, Lennon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I had an idea the other day for a possible travelogue series if mm. anyone needs one because mm. I live not far Expectation away Expectation Entertainment mm. which he sure. we'll love that yeah, we'll love, love that. this and it may be you David who does it with me I'd I don't know who to. does it but anyway it's it's. Um, I, I live not and you're not far away either, but I live quite close to Abbey Road Okay. and as you can imagine that zebra crossing yes. which I believe is not the original right? didn't right. they move they it somewhere they moved the zebra yeah. but anyway as you don't can imagine don't tell the tourists no so there's tourists Paul McCartney's dead by the way but day or night there are tourists lining up to um to have their photo taken on the crossing and someone who has to drive past there quite a lot it, you know I I actually I, I mix between kind of benevolence like mm. go on then have your photo mm. taken I'll allow it mm. as a local yeah. or uh, I just get annoyed <laughs> and I sort of want to honk and then sometimes they'll they'll be sort of a bit arrogant so the other day I you know I because it's still a zebra crossing so yes. you have to pull to a stop right but you never know if if right, they're going right. to cross or not or whether yes. they're just posing for photos so I sort of pulled to a stop and then someone just sort of grandly waved me on right. like they didn't want my car in the back of the shop I'm like don't tell me this yeah. is my neighbourhood yeah. but anyway it occurred to me and um, sadly we can't feature the pyramids in it but uh, is there not a travelogue where we go to lots of famous places associated with the Beatles oh, I yeah. see. Yeah, across yeah. the years oh, great we can tie music. the music in but we get yes. it you know, we'll get them on board have to yeah. be the BBC I think but, so we BBC, start with yeah. Abbey Road and so then get we get them yeah. on board the Beatles well, the, the, yes the, 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 the we want to be able to use their music oh, right, okay. Okay. Yes. and maybe we have interviews with uh, with, with McCartney and, yeah. and Star yeah, and it's yeah. not it's just about yes. travel and them on tour but then we get to go to we go to the States we go to India we go to Philippines and then we could do for Bowie as well. That's we it. Did, yes. The first one's Beatles, then Bowie. Rock, rock yeah. stars on tour. Yeah, or Berlin. Tour. I, I we like yeah. Yeah. Hamburg. I was in Hamburg recently. That's got a oh, whole Beatles shrine. Yeah. Liverpool, obviously. Yeah. Did you go to the Reaper Bar and all that in Hamburg? No, I, still, I just, no. I, just, I, just defa- right. I tell people I didn't bother. Right. Can right. I? Right. Can I just? Can I just relate <laughs> just one thing about the zebra crossing? The, the I was, I so know what you're talking about, and I am often driving down that road and thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, right? And uh, the other day, I was approaching that zebra crossing and there were two people on it or it might have even been three but basically they were posing 
but they weren't posing like on Abbey Road. They were doing <laughs> well, their yeah, own little yeah, pose, yeah, yeah. where I think one of them was sort of like doing a diagonal and the other one yeah. was raising their foot. And I thought, Absolutely if you're going to do ridiculous. it properly, do yes. the Abbey Road pose. I mean, Absolutely why ridiculous. bother? Yeah. And I was tempted to shout, as I often am when I'm annoyed with them, it's not the real zebra crossing. Yes. That's what I want to yeah, shout yeah. to yeah. the various foreigners yes. who were there. Very excited. I actually, that. I don't know if you know, but I did a film once years ago at Cemetery Junction with Ricky and we mm. recorded our score in Abbey Road, right. in one of the oh, studios wow, there, yeah. and we used a... A mm. piano or something that had been yes. there since that they claimed had been used. Yeah. On, I don't know what it was, strawberry fields or something. And there was a bit of. There's definitely a thrill when you. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know when. Actually, yeah. I remember George Martin was. I was at a rock, uh, at a rock concert. Sounds so old. <laughs> but I was at a, a, a gig. What not gig? What am I talking about? A, um, a festival thing. Mm. Right. Mm. And uh, I was having a piss in the kind of in the. I'm not. I'm not mm. gonna. I'm not gonna BS you in the mm. VIP latrines. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, having a piss. Look to my left. It's uh, George Martin. No. Who right. says I'm a fan? No. To me. No. I couldn't George believe Martin. it. George wow. Martin. Oh, because normally when one is in the VIP tent or wherever having a piss, one doesn't want someone to talk to you. No. You know, really. I mean, I've been in situations where I've been in service stations, for example, not as glamorous as what Stephen mm. and, and I've thought, oh, no, this mm. bloke is going to talk to me and I'm having to piss. Mm. But obviously, if it's George, George Martin, Martin and they're going to say I'm a fan, that's absolutely You great. allow him to piss yeah, on, your, mean, on your wellies. You, you could be having a shit. Um, <laughs> exactly. You'd be totally fine. Come on in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as Shakespeare would probably you know, a piss in a service station, a piss in a view, but it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. all, ultimately, it's yeah, the same. Yeah, that's marvellous. But would you, Stephen, if, if you going back to your film point, if you I don't know if you've other than the, you mentioned the Ricky Bowie thing, have you ever had to portray a rock star or a pop star in something you know? Because that's the thing that people get find very hard, isn't it? And we've talked before about you'll often get in in sort of Midsummer Murders. Right. One of the episodes <laughs> yes, they'll be yes. like Ricky Tick from the Zagatrons yeah, yeah, yeah. is in the village yeah. and he's got a leather jacket and he's a bit past it now. And they try and show this is what a rock star be like, but it yes. sort of doesn't lead anywhere because he isn't one. Can have I? Well, I'm asking this question mm. while we're here. I mean, I have a sense that most people know what we look like. Even you, Tim, because mm. you know they've seen it. Mm. If I know we were, like, yes. if we were playing rock stars in a in a biopic, mm. who would we get? Well, cast I, can I tell you straight away? I've got a friend who's convinced I should be playing in the Fleetwood Mac story, ah, Mick Fleetwood. Of course, <laughs> that's brilliant. But, you but should. I, I don't you know. Really my, should. But my feeling is, I don't know enough about the Fleetwood Mac story. But I know there was lots of sort of you know uh, incestuous relations among yeah. the band. They were always together. Yeah, you get to take a lot of cocaine and. But have I, sex. my sense was that yeah. is that was Mick Fleetwood also doing that, or was it? Uh, I always get the feeling he's just coming in late. Yeah. I'd just be opening the door and going, what's going on? And they'd yeah. just finished yeah. fucking and storing coke. So brilliant. <laughs> Lindsay Buckingham and Stephen yeah. Lee say, oh, hi, Mick. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. yeah I yeah. know we look a bit Because my sense is that, I guess, because although he's, the band is co-named, partly named after him and he's a drummer, I don't, he wasn't no. one of the chief songwriters in their golden years, right? In no, he, well, no, it I was named know. after him because Peter Green, who was in it yeah. in the old days when they were a blues band, thought it was great to name it after him and John McVie. Yeah. That was the idea, I yeah. think Fleetwood Mac or whatever, yeah. And he just has hung in there. I yeah, mean, he exactly. has really hung in there. But that's why I'm, I just imagine <laughs> that, that McFeewood comes in and he yeah. sees what's going on. He goes, guys, guys, let's stop fighting. You know, because he's just thinking, I want to cash the checks. Yes, exactly. Let's not rock yes. this, uh, yeah, this yeah, mill yeah, ticket. No, entirely. But you're right, you could be him. I, I'm going to plump for me... Yusuf Islam. And I've said Yusuf yes. Islam yeah, when I yeah. Stevens because, I mean, maybe some time ago it would have been Cat. Now I think it's Yusuf yeah. that I'm playing. I mean, if, if that... If nothing, if that's in fact, if they do the Cat Stevens biopic, I am later Cat. If anything can set Twitter alight, it's that revelation. <laughs> yeah. That's who you're going to be. So who are you going to be? Uh, well, I suppose I'm... In a certain light, I, I look, looks like I'm balding. And, Mitch Yule. Uh, I was going to say Phil Collins. No, I think more Mitch Yule. Well, what I about mean, Eno? Yeah, Eno's Brian good. Eno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what his part is. It's a small Moby? part. 
Sounds like I'm being pushed Who, into a sort of Moby. Moby? Moby, yes. Moby. Yeah. Um, I, was I can't once, see there being a sort of Moby biopic soon. This, this is probably know. relevant and is not a pop star at all for a certain age, but there's a period when people used to refer to me as Jacko after Jacko from Brushstrokes. Yeah. Do you remember him? Uh, yeah, yes, of course. He's not a rock star. But he wasn't yeah. balding, was he? Uh, but I'm not, Stephen. <laughs> no, fair enough. No, also, no. I've been to Africa with him. Uh, on Have a you? comic relief trip, yes, that's yeah, how old well, I am. Yeah. When he was someone but, who comic relief would choose to go to Africa, wow, I was there too. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, can I just well, say I think I could also play Frank Zappa, possibly. Uh, yeah, well, no one's actually casting any of this stuff. No, but you well, could, I, it's obviously I, I on just, your mind. So yeah, sure, sure Stephen, right? You could play Frank Zappa. <laughs> other, yeah, yeah. other people. Hey, I think I could also David, be Frank we've Zappa. totally both registered that. Yeah. Should that come up? Yeah. Because everyone ultimately is pigeonholeable, we're saying Stephen, who's been obviously fantastic, is, is you, you're our sort of film director for this moment. Right? Yeah. We talked to you about acting and stuff, and Dover, and you've just done an exciting film and all the rest of it. So I want to show you, I want to sort of play you, if I could, um, some of David's David Bowie's acting, and just sort of see whether. And I don't know, you, I think you know this song, David, but whether you think this acting's any good. And, I, and obviously, you, um, you've, you've been well known for sort of that naturalistic kind of acting, and and and. And uh, you could argue that not enough people during sort of when they're acting in a play or a film sort of do the things that normal people do, like cough or sneeze, right? So, <laughs> so, so Bowie does a sneeze <laughs> really? in a track. I don't know if you know it, called Please Mr. Gravedigger. And this is from uh, this... You, you've played me Please Mr. Right, Gravedigger before. Which is yeah. a spoken word piece um, from this the is from David very Bowie. early, the, the David is, Bowie yeah. album that he did before Space Oddity. Right. That is mainly kind of novelty-ish, slightly right. vaudeville weird, tracks. Yeah, but, and, and this thing is particularly weird because, as I say, it's just spoken. It's actually, um, to keep the mood light, it's about a child murderer oh. um, who's a grave digger and he's about to bury his next victim no, uh, in a slightly Victorian no, way. Well. And he wonders why uh, yeah, he wasn't having the hits at this time. <laughs> and apparently when he did this, he was... Um, he had a sort of sandbox in the studio to make the sound of the gravel and he had a coat um, with the collars turned up because you can hear him and it's raining and he absolutely method acted the whole thing. Really? But in it, he does a sneeze and I suppose the question is, is it real? All alone in his home. Excuse me. Please. Uh, okay. I mean, I think quite strong. Can I, I think say, it's pretty good. I think that's good, isn't I'm it? Gonna, I'm going to raise an issue. Mm. I don't think that's David sneezing. Uh, wow. In a, pre in a previous podcast... We play the laughing gnome. Now, I don't know when you know the laughing gnome, uh, but it's you'll probably know enough to know yeah. that it's David singing and talking to a gnome. Right. Uh, and the gnome replies, often trying to join in, we had a long thing about how David's quite nasty to the gnome because the gnome is trying to make things nice and funny and David's a bit horrible to him. But we always assumed, I think, that that was David with his voice, but it's not. It's Gus Dudgeon, who turned out to be Elton ah. John's. I think that might be someone like Gus Dudgeon I don't, sneezing there. I don't think... Well, I think I've read that it is Bowie. You've read it where? Where have you read that? In the... I've got this... Even, even for you, that's... In this book I can't imagine called, what book that's It's in. a book by this guy called Nicholas Pegg, right. who actually tweeted in, to, or, or a friend of his did, said, you should get this. It's, really, it's called The Complete David Bowie. And in it... It mentions That's the over-complete David Bowie. Yeah, no, yeah. and it mentions that um, I'm pretty sure it, it, it says that it's him, but I've always assumed it's him. I think if it is, it's good. That's I right, you'd be happy with that. I think it's a solid, and particularly given that you can't have the facial, you know, right. gesture I, I, as well. I think it's almost. I mean, I you wouldn't go for a retake. I don't consider no. my, I don't consider myself an actor. I, there's many things That's I good, can't David. do. That's yes. good. Uh, but one of the things I don't think I've ever seen anyone do is sneeze genuinely whilst acting. Oh, I see. I mean, it's I a tough thing to do. I isn't can't it? think of a moment Actually when that's really sneeze. Really, I mean, that sounded like a proper sneeze to me. Now, does that mean that Bowie's an incredible actor? Which I think I don't. Well, no think director he is. really channeled or, that. Or then, possibly more likely, he genuinely sneezed. He had a cold, and they just thought, "Let's put this in." 
Well, that's, well, that's the tribute to the man, is isn't that, it? Is that's the tribute to the man. Is that detailed in the complete Bowie? Is, is it not? No, you want the complete, complete Bowie yeah, for yeah. that one, I think. Can I just ask a question? As a, your Bowie aficionado, maybe you can answer this. So this this period before Ziggy Stardust, where he's kind of... My sense is always that he's sort of skirting around music and showbiz, and he tries mm. various sort of hats mm. on, right? Mm. So he's he changes his name, and then he does The Laughing Gnome, and that's obviously quite mm. an odd little sort of mm. jokey album or whatever. And then is he does he write songs for other people, or is he trying to get songs? No, he, I, mean, he, I mean, it's actually... Well, it's, before, it's really before Man Who Sold the World and Space Oddity, uh, because by then he's definitely a pop star, even though he doesn't break through. I see. So it's almost that. a 60s Bowie and yeah, a 70s 60s Bowie, Bowie. But I guess with the 60s Bowie, I know that every artist sort of finds themselves, but there's to me, from just the outside, it looks a little yeah. bit like... He'll sort of take what he'll whatever no, whatever right. works no, no, yeah, whatever no, works d- will work, and then yeah. he finds something that works, well, and then well, he just follows it. Yes. Well, he doesn't. Right. It doesn't work. That's the right. thing is that, that he's really casting around. I mean, what there actually is in Bowie, I think, uh, early on, is an incredible desperation to be famous. Yes. Right. he's like and desperate he says that. to be famous. Right. Yeah. He, he actually says that. And in a funny way, I often thought, and this you know sounds ridiculous, but. If Big Brother had been around, he might have gone on it. Yeah, I right. think he really wanted to be well, famous. Well, that's like he did that. You probably haven't seen this, but there's a very famous clip, which we could play, because even though us Bowie fans will know it, there might be something funny about it, which you probably haven't seen, which is him being the interviewed by Cliff Mitchamore for right. being part of the, uh, what's it called? The, oh, men- the Society Against... The Society Against... Short Hair or something. Or, or for Society Against oh, the Insulting oh, of Men with it. Long Hair. Have you ever seen I it? I think I may have seen that. I'll have okay. to look well, at it. Let's but, have but, a look but, at it because it may it may be worth talking about. But, but I mean, that's but can the I sort just follow that line? Because what's interesting is, for, given he's become so accomplished, mm. so pioneering, mm. and doesn't just stick mm. with being famous, but but yeah. threatens his oh. celebrity throughout his career yeah. yes. through left field turns. Yeah. Where does it shift? Where does it go from I'm a I'm a wannabe Big Brother yeah. contestant to mm. a genuine artist? No, I mean, How but, does yeah. that shift? But that I think that it, genuinely I, is is what is so fascinating about because you're because as from the creative process point of view, he is fascinating and really deeply deeply unusual because yeah. you're right. He sort of finds you know he's into mime. He does right. this sort of weird Anthony Newley, this sort yeah. of funny Cockney Tommy Steele type album, which is. Which is not any, you know, um, no plaudits for that. The critics hated it, whatever. Didn't even notice it. And he's even, you know, he said if I, he said if computers were around earlier, he would probably do that. You know, in other mm. words, it's not about the music. Yeah, but uh, I think Steve's point is a very interesting one, which is even that that you have a sense of Bowie later on as this sort of commitment to art and not yes, just right. sort of yeah, like yeah. being successful or being famous yeah. or whatever. I'm not sure that's completely true. Okay. I mean, I think I think there is a part of him that was that. And then I think there was a part, like, for example, Bowie got very angry when Gary Newman appeared and he wrote this song, Teenage Wildlife, Teenage Wildlife it, yeah. about how he was sort of fucked off that someone was taking his thing and sort of right. making use of it. And there was a slight sense of threat, I think, there. That, oh, that's yeah. what I think, you know, and there's a younger bloke doing it. And, and, and you know, the idea of when he did Let's Dance, that was a total thing, like, I'm going to do something commercial. And then I think he got very worried in the 80s that he'd lost his mojo. Whatever. So all that it was all in So it's play. really a constant battle between yeah. sort of Can art we- and... But I would say that it's certainly mid '80s, or even early mid '80s. There's a point at which you can really see that the world has caught up with him. Can I just? And play he's this? not doing stuff that really pushes it. Can right, we? Can we that. play this? Because one of the things it does fit in the discussion. In that, obviously, one of the things Bowie did, which was part of his in becoming famous, and part of it also his pushing the boundaries of art as well, was to play with gender to say he was gay and all the rest of it. Now. You have to say that four years earlier, he wasn't quite so relaxed about that idea, and I think the long-haired interview <laughs> makes that very clear. Nine inches long before you can join. Well, I think we're past that over now. Have you? Yes. Now, exactly who's being cruel to you? 
Well, I think we're all fairly tolerant, but for the last two years we've had uh, comments like, darling, and uh, can I carry a handbag? That's the point I was making. <laughs> this is a man who, at this point, didn't like people yeah. saying, darling, or can I carry a handbag? Yeah. In a few years' time, he's going to thought, wait a minute, there's a niche he's, in the market if I say OK. But it leans, yeah. it leans more into the idea that there's an opportunity to be on the telly. Sure, you need yes. someone to talk yeah. about hair. Yeah, yeah whatever. I mean, it's not, there's Completely. no, I don't think he's genuinely worried about what people are saying in the street. It, I think he just wants to be on the box. No, no, right? totally, yes. yeah, totally. Yeah. And that, it's essentially like the people you would see on, what's that show? Kill, oh God, what's his name now? That bloke who was an MP uh, and had also had a daytime show. Kilroy Silk. Kilroy Silk. Right. On right, Kilroy, they'll find someone yeah. who wants to say something, yeah. you know, about whatever the yeah. fuck they're talking and about. And say that they're in the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Men with Long Hair, which doesn't even exist. Yes, I'd like to know if the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Men with Long Hair ever had I any meetings. I don't think it's lasted as long as, say, Shelter, for example, <laughs> yeah. which was founded and about the same time. Also, you were never in it. I was never in it, and probably now would yeah. be hard for me. Yeah, <laughs> It'd be hard for you to be. But in. um, but he, but but it's interesting, and and and, and you know something like that. The, there's often comparisons made with Bolan and Bowie because they were very close friends, yeah. and you know worked together. So, is it, what you can see is by sort of seventy three, seventy four, uh, Bolan has run out of steam. He keeps doing the same thing, and that's when you can really see Bowie has now decided I'm doing this. You know, in particular, young mm. Americans, and he's ch he literally changes. Mm. And then you are looking at, or you feel like you're looking at the pure artist. Yes, but maybe you're looking at a really commercially savvy guy who says, "This is how I can sell." You know, it's a hard. Yeah, term. yeah. yeah. I think we can wrap up so we'll wrap up with this which is I brought something and I want to mention it uh, partly because it's a record that cost me 15 quid at a vinyl fair in Hay and by mentioning it I think I can claim for it uh, on, on, <laughs> against tax uh, and it's what it is and you might or might not be aware of this this is the Spiders from Mars solo album are you aware of it? Wow no yeah so Amazing. the Spiders from Mars which of course were the backing band uh, they were sacked by David Bowie on stage at the House with Odie in 1972 uh, and the rumour was always that they asked for a rise a pay rise when David Bowie got really famous and he just didn't want to give it to them so he just announced I'm retiring and then basically started with a different band so the trouble with the Spiders Amazing. from Mars album, which I have in my hand, is the Spiders from Mars was Mick Ronson, uh, Trevor Boulder and Woody Woodmansey, so, and David Bowie. Uh, now, obviously, the people you're interested in there is, number one, David Bowie, quite a long way down Mick Ronson, and then it's really the other two, yeah. right? Unfortunately, Mick Ronson isn't on this either. So what it is is uh, it's Trevor and Woody and then someone called Pete McDonald on vocals okay. and a guy called Dave Black Not on guitar. Now, I have played a bit of this, uh, I can't, for some reason we don't have a vinyl player, but I think it sums up something that we're talking about here, is that we've talked on this about the genius or not and imbuing people with godlike powers or whatever, but one thing that this album does prove is that basically, without David Bowie, mm. they were shite. Mm. And so therefore, <laughs> it is true that at some level, he was definitely a godlike genius. And I'm going to play you a track, uh, if I can find it, from the Spiders from Marcel. I think there's only one track on YouTube. I've never it's heard that of it. bad... That uh, you know, it hasn't even made the whole album. It's like if uh, is it Rourke and Joyce of the Smiths. Yes, yes there you go. So, you know yeah. exactly. Yes. All right, so hang on. Or have you have you ever come across Time UK, which I think is Rick Butler from the Jam, his oh, group. Right. Now, it may be brilliant, by the way, yeah. but I mean they haven't caught on, have they? That's what I'm, <laughs> right, that's hang on, let's see if I can play you. Okay, so this is Red Eyes, which is the first track on it, and I would say my memory of hearing it is is basically if Status Quo thought, oh, "What about this?" and then thought, "Fuck, that's a bit shit." It reminds me of um, 
those top of the pops albums they used yes. to have in yeah. the seventies where they couldn't get the actual right. uh, yeah, yeah, artists, yeah. so they would have yes. pretty solid sound yes. likes, but yeah. pretty pedestrian. Yeah. No, that is like something the sweet would have yeah. not even managed yeah. to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's a shame. I was thinking we might go out on that though. Sure. Here's mm. another one. Uh, I'm trying. I, you know, the trouble with that is it would sounded so bad that I don't think you could tell how bad it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you needed to hear it a bit better. Hang on, this is called running oh. around in circles. Compared to Aladdin Sane, which yeah. is what David did next, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be fair, I think we might have to get a vinyl record player in here so that we can yeah, hear that properly. To, to be yeah. fair to Woody yeah. and Trevor. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, hang on, alive. not just Woody and Trevor, but also uh, Dave Black and Pete McDonald. Yeah. Where are they now? <laughs> <laughs> I think do. one of them uh, drove me here in the cab. <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.